This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, everyone. My name is Emily Friedlander, and you're listening to Episode 8 of The Thump Podcast. Each week, we'll bring together a panel of Thump editors to discuss the people and stories shaping contemporary electronic music and nightlife. Today, we'll be dedicating an entire episode to what is arguably the biggest and most divisive electronic music release of the year, the Chainsmokers' debut album, Memories Do Not Open. want to introduce yourselves. I'm Larry Fitzmorris. I am the senior culture editor at Vice. Back for a second week in a row. Back at it again. <laughs> I'm Ezra Marcus. I'm the associate editor at Thumb. And I'm Colin Joyce, managing editor at Thumb. To kick this episode off, I was wondering if everyone could go around and provide sort of like a one-sentence description of what the Chainsmokers are all about. So the Chainsmokers are my favorite music to hear while I'm shopping for groceries. The Chainsmokers are like an emission from deep within the bowels of the algorithmic music streaming conglomerate capitalist monstrosity that surrounds us, and it sounds so good. <laughs> I mean, the Chainsmokers are two one-and-a-half very good-looking <laughs> guys who uh, happen to make very popular music. Mine is a tweet that they tweeted um, (laughs) and that Ezra put in his piece on them a little while back. Anyone who knows us knows we are the chillest, most humble dudes. (laughs) And the reason why I singled out that tweet is because every woman knows that when a man says, I'm a really nice dude, it says something about the guy. The Chainsmokers are clearly some of the most fragile egos that there is in pop music today on a Kanye level. We'll we'll be discussing that and more on this episode. Colin, do you want to give us a little bit of an overview of the group? Sure, I'll I'll give the history with as little editorializing as is possible when recounting their story. So the Chainsmokers are the duo of Alex Paul and Drew Taggart. Drew is 27 years old and Alex is 31, I think. So they're an EDM pop duo that was founded here in New York in 2012, sort of right at the first crest of EDM as an American phenomenon. 
They were brought together by a manager, actually. Alex Paul had started the Chainsmokers with another DJ who left for reasons that are kind of unclear and lost to time. And the manager of the group brought in Drew Taggart, who was an intern at Interscope at the time. And (laughs) they brought him in because uh, I guess he had similar interests. The Chainsmokers were born. They released a few singles right off the bat, kind of not a big deal sort of thing. They said in their Billboard interview that they were doing a lot of remixes of like bloggy hits. So they would like remix like a Yonzi song or something just because it was like what Stereogum was writing about at the time. No shots to Stereogum. So that was the very beginnings of their sound. But then they sort of found their first thing that they did at the end of 2013 when they released a song called Hashtag Selfie. It was as out of nowhere as any of the rest of the songs that they were releasing at the time, but whether through the success of the song or like behind the scenes managerial stuff, they ended up re-releasing that song in early 2014 on Steve Aoki's Dim Mac Records, and then it just blew up. That song went to number 16 and went to the top 20 in at least 11 countries. It's a sort of like, what you would imagine EDM sounding like in 2013, but also with this like monologue happening over that's sort of parodying the idea of people taking selfies at the club. So it's lampooning the very Vegas culture that made it a hit. And that was how they came into it, just like sort of thumbing their nose at the world that birthed them in a way that a lot of people, I think rightly interpreted as kind of vaguely misogynist and stuff. Mm. And and so that was the original context of the Chainsmokers. Did any of you guys, like, were you, like, listening to that song at the time? I, I honestly have no recollection of it from that moment. Well, at the time that that song came out, I was studying abroad in Sydney, Australia, so do the math. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I heard it probably once or twice. I, when I listened to it again recently, I, I, I was very familiar immediately. I mean, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Sounds like something you'd hear at, like, at Electric Daisy. It sounds like, like a big kind of like mid-set tune that like is just like really there, just like very loud. <laughs> So what's the sound that they built? How would you guys describe it? So at that point, they definitely hadn't found it yet. That was like a real like EDM song, for lack of more specific genre terms for it. It wasn't until a couple of years later, after they tried to repeat the selfie formula with a song called Kanye that totally face-planted, they didn't have any chart success after going multiple times platinum with selfie. They came back in 2015 with, I think, the like, 2.0 version of the Chainsmokers with a song called Roses featuring a singer called Roses. Mm. That's Roses with a Z is the singer's name and Roses with an S is the name of the song. I don't know what they're going for there exactly. Don't but get it twisted. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So that song was the first of their songs to like pair like this sort of future bassy like post flume soft mm. drops with a soaring, usually female, top-line vocalist. The sort of thing that Ezra talked about last week is, like, all over the pop charts right now. That was their first song that did that. They didn't invent it, but I think that that song just took off in the midst of that sort of genre, Eddie. It's like they're making pop songs from a background of making EDM music, and that song was the pivot for them, I think. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that moment. (laughs) I think that what we've learned from their interviews is that, in particular the Billboard interview, where they spoke about the way that they take advantage of the information that's available about how trends are currently operating through websites like Hype Machine, 
is that they saw that this trend shift was happening in like a kind of a sea change way towards these softer sounds and they pounced on it and hit the nail on the head as far as the algorithmic eddies that put a song like that into the ears of millions of people around the world work. And they kind of rode that wave and they're still riding it. Yeah, I just remember when I first heard Selfie, I thought that it was, uh, I thought the Chainsmokers were the guys who did like a G6. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it was like, it took me like, I think I didn't realize that they were not Far East movement until maybe like a year and a half ago. Maybe even, maybe like a year ago. Really. Totally. Their music was kind of born of that, oh, that yeah. scene in, yeah. until this Roses switch, I think which is something different that they just started repeating over and over again. Mm. Slightly different variations. 2016 saw the release of Don't Let Me Down, featuring a singer called Daya, who's sort of become a go-to EDM vocalist on the strength of that single. That song went to number three. It's a similar kind of thing. Small drops that are more like rolling down a hill instead of falling off a cliff or Mm. something like that. And... It just became wildly popular. I think they probably got some prominent Spotify playlist placements or something like that. And this music, I think, part of what led to their like rise is that it fits in a lot of different categories in those sorts of like playlist worlds. Is that it can be a pop song or it can be a dance song. It can be whatever you want it to be at that given moment. Yeah. And then after that, they had their biggest hit, which is Closer, featuring Halsey. They were probably elevated a bit by her being the biggest vocalist that they'd worked with at that point. But that song was just unstoppable, went to number one. It was the beginning, I think, of their like super nostalgic thing that you wrote about in your piece, Larry. Mm. That sort of brings us to now. They released an EP that had collected some of the singles from last year that I don't I think it charted well, but it it was more just like a we need an album to check off yeah, the list. Yeah. And then they released a couple more singles, and uh, including a song with Coldplay. There was a song with Tiesto somewhere in the mix that didn't make any of the releases and didn't do any numbers. But now there's an album called Memories Do Not Open. That's Memories Ellipsis Do Not Open. And I don't know, I what do we think of that? Did we open the memories? <laughs> um, I mean... <clears throat> I personally like think I've been listening to the album a lot, partially because I was writing about it and partially because I don't think it's terrible. I hesitate to say it's good as well, but I do think it's one of those things where it's like you hear it and you're like, okay, I know what this is. And then like you're like, all right, it sounds like okay. Like like they, they don't make like their music is not like offensive for all the anger that they seem to stoke there it's pretty inoffensive you know i think the most incorrect thing i see people saying about the chain smokers is why do people like this i think you have to if you listen to it it's pretty obvious why it's very catchy on a basic level so i don't know i've been spending a lot of time with it though so i'm kind of my opinion's kind of colored at this point as well the most interesting things about the chain smokers are they're good songs and when you look at the album at least three quarters of it are not good songs and are not interesting i mean it just it has a lot of filler. And that's because they're not genius pop songwriters. They're okay pop songwriters who have a pretty good formula, and when it works, it works, and when it usually doesn't work, then it's totally forgettable. But I think the songs where it does work are totally fascinating. In particular, I'm thinking of Paris, I'm thinking of Closer, I'm thinking of Young and Last Day Alive. And what these songs all have, which is something they allude to in the album title, is this focus on memory and nostalgia, and it's something that Larry saw as this like shallow, soulless attempt to sell and commercialize nostalgia. 
and I totally agree, but I'm fascinated by it. It's like they are so steeped in this nostalgic culture that for them, it's not even about evoking any particular era. Like Change Smoker songs don't sound like anything from the mm. past. They sound like the present. But all their, the songs that I like the most all take place in the past tense and they all have these really specific little moments that are kind of like at the same time specific and vague. Like in Closer, referencing like the roommate back in Boulder or in <laughs> Paris, like, you know, referring to this like tryst with a lover in Paris. And it's like these memories are... They're not supposed to do what an M83 song does, right, where it makes you think of the 80s and makes you feel like you're living in another era. What they're actually doing is something almost more insidious and powerful where they're, like, presenting nostalgia itself as an aesthetic. They're Mm. like, look at us having a memory. Isn't that cool? And kids eat it up. And I'm so fascinated by this powerful thing they've tapped into where they're selling the idea of having a memory itself as an end goal. So when you're referring to nostalgia, do you mean just lyrical nostalgia or a nostalgic sound in any way? I think that one of the most interesting things that Chainsmokers have ever done gets right at that. And that's like in the lyric video for Paris on YouTube, they opened with a frame that was just a fake dictionary definition for the word Paris, where they wrote that Paris is one a sentimental yearning for a reality that isn't genuine, or two, an irrecoverable condition for fantasy that evokes nostalgia or daydreams. Which is just a crazy thing for a pop band to say about themselves, that what they're doing is creating a fake sentimental yearning for a fake past. Mm. It's branding. They've rebranded Paris. Paris has been rebranded. Yeah, Paris is now just that place you've never been. Which I think is like something that completely is at the center of the millennial anxiety crisis of who are we and what are we doing because we are willing to just spend our time watching somebody else have a memory. <laughs> yeah, there's some something there's something we're missing that they're giving us. I think something interesting is that Drew Taggart is like I think he's 28, Alex Paul's 31 which puts me age-wise in the the middle of this awful game of of tug-of-war. But it's really easy selling kind of a live-for-today thing to an age group between, like, 22 and 35. That's a really easy trigger to hit. It's, like, very, like, this generation, I've written about this in the past, too, is kind of very much, like... And it's my generation, for lack of a better term, too. It's very much a lost generation of people who have grown up fearing the future because the present has been so consistently horrible. So I do think it's tough because I think there's on a level, there's probably some sincerity to what they express. But, it, it, but you know, I say selling because... I said this to a friend earlier this week. I think they're kind of peak uh, no ethical consumption under capitalism in a way in that it's product. Like the chain smokers are product. You know, it's a very good reminder that the stuff, whether it's politically righteous or it exists as fluff, it's here to be sold to you. And I think when you engage with the memories that they're like – creating for their audience and like kind of like feeding into and asking their audience to literally buy it becomes a little insidious a little more so maybe than usual i find those moments where i'm personally buying into it the most interesting yeah it's not even like a conscious thing Ezra pointed out the song Young, which is like mm-hmm. my favorite moment on the album and not 
one of the singles that they released. So my favorite moment is a new track. The first time I heard it, I had like got chills and also simultaneously like hated myself that I was getting chills. It's like a disconnect between how I feel about this music and how I'm subconsciously interacting with it. Oh yeah, it's really effective, which is what makes it right. seem effective so is evil the best to me. Word. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh like you find yourself like, oh yeah, okay, I get this. Like, you know, like for I think Closer is a really good example. I didn't start liking Closer, which is a song I'm okay with at this point because A song that was on Thump's uh, best songs of the year list. Oh, it should, wow. it should be noted. Promo. <laughs> Hit the link. Link in bio. Yeah, I mean I just felt like closer to me at first I was like the song is annoying and I can't stand it and then I realized it sounded like Tracy Chapman's Fast Car and I was like I now I love this song because it reminded me of Fast Car and like you know that sounds like a stupid reason to like something but when you vocalize the reasons why we like something it usually is not pretty you know it's like it's it triggers something deep inside us well I mean I think you're totally right that what the Chainsmokers are doing is creating a pretty threadbare commercial product based around this like faint idea of a halcyon past but to me i mean i get why that's like icky and fake but i'm also so fascinated by it like we're seeing the full weight of the market bearing down on nostalgia itself like we're talking about the chain smokers we're really talking about the entire system of isolating whatever is trendy and selling it to a lot of kids i mean they really are as you were saying, like adept at branding and marketing and a product of a bigger system than, they, than them themselves. And we're seeing the entire power of this like massive system dedicated to just like selling nostalgia. I'm just fascinated by it. It's, it's, it's so meta. It's so like self-reflexive is totally icky. And it's, it's almost like, like the matrix or something like that. You know, you're seeing this, like these massive corporations and these massive structures and these streaming systems, et cetera, like all dedicated to giving kids a fake past. I mean, that's a huge project. It's an, it's an easy, yeah, it's, and it's, it's an easy proposition to buy into too. Like, do Mm. you, do you like to remember things? Well, sure. Yeah. No, I'm in. (laughs) Emily, did you open the memories? I could not get through this album, to oh, be wow. honest. I, I probably listened to it about three times total, but I could not get through it in a single sitting. And I had to like continually remind myself to listen to it for the sake of yes, coming on air and talking to you guys. Why do you think that honest. is? Like, where, where, or where did you find yourself dropping off from it? Usually, like, the first three songs or four, and then I would pick it back up around the time that Young played and kind of enjoy Young, because I feel like I'm supposed to enjoy it, because that's everybody's favorite song, (laughs) and then sort of trickle, you know, off again. But I think, I don't know, I was telling Colin earlier that, you know, obviously it doesn't hang together super cohesively as an album, so that could possibly be because... These songs were never designed to be like consumed as an album. Like the album mm. is sort of an arbitra- arbitrary con- construct, mm. commercial uh, vessel for these sorts of songs. Right, in, in a world where they're getting billions of plays on YouTube, like most people aren't going to sit through this as an album. Right. Yeah. But yeah, to me, it just—I think it just doesn't um, appeal <coughs> to my sensibility. The songs sounds so heavy-handed and grandiose. The climaxes seem so obvious. Mm. Um, And maybe that's just my sensibility that I'm not into it. There's something about it that feels very male to me, just like really? phallic, no. obvious. <laughs> um, even, even though there are some very pretty details, 
somehow they don't detract or contrast the heavy handedness enough for me. Yeah, you know, the, it's funny. I, like, obviously, I feel like if you spend some time on the internet at all, you probably are aware of the fact that chain smokers said a lot of ridiculous stuff in general in interviews, some about women and their relationships with women. I think the phrase locker room talk might be applicable right. here. Even some lyrics on the album, like on, oh, on yeah. um, uh, the second song, what is it? Break up every night. Yeah. to break up every night. Yeah, and then, yeah. And, and she, then w- she fucks me back to life. Is yeah. that the lyric? Oh, God. <laughs> it's like a gross, it's a gross <laughs> lyric, and it's kind of like... It's kind of like very retro to me because like you don't really, you know, music like pop music these days is really constructed for a literally like a global audience. Like it's like constructed not to offend. I kind of think of the last previous like electronic rock pop bands to have like a big song that was everywhere. Like the Chainsmokers, it was Capital Cities with Safe and Sound, right. who, by the way, got their start as jingle writers. And... You know, that kind of stuff to me sounds like, you know, it sounds like a cell phone commercial. It sounds very sweeping and pan-global, designed to be inoffensive. Whereas the chain smokers, I think there is this kind of, their point of view, because it is male, I think it is designed to kind of, if not really exclude a portion of their listeners, then communicate a certain message to them. Yeah, I can imagine myself as an 18 year old hearing this song and kind of not even understanding it that much and just Mm. being like uh oh that like that lyric she tries to break up every night but then she fucks me back to life it's like oh okay i guess that's the thing that adults do (laughs) you know like it, it, it gets like imprinted you don't understand it you don't understand that it's fucked up yet maybe and then it gets sort of like imprinted on your Subconscious. It's interesting because I don't think that's the way teens talk these days. Like, I, you know, there was a study that came out a few weeks ago or a few months ago saying that teens in general are having less sex. So, like, to me, like, I think the teens obviously like the chain smokers. Someone is buying this music, but I'm not sure they're vibing with that feeling. Like, I just don't think, like, it's like, I don't think it's connecting, or I I can't see it connecting, but also, like, sample sizes, et cetera. Uh, You know, there's a lot of factors at play. With with the exception of of Selfie, though, I feel like that lyric is, like, totally an outlier in their musical representation. That's, like, absolutely what they've projected to the press, and I think that, in a way, that they seem to regret. But that doesn't doesn't come off in their music that often, because, as you say, it just feels like so vague and broad in a way that's effective that to have something like that just like it's jarring it, yeah no yeah it, it's 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 a jarring start to the album <laughs> You wrote an interesting piece back when the Billboard profile came out that was excellent, by the way. And you were talking about how the Chainsmokers represented bros, but also kind of a new kind of bro. And I think this ties in a little bit to our conversation about the capitalist intentions of the product. Yeah, I mean, the Chainsmokers are not the bros of yesteryear. I mean, they're not this, like, kind of sloppy talks. I mean, they, they may be toxic, but they're, 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 not, they're not sloppy in the way that the the bro archetype of, like, the stained shirt and, like, the spilled beer pong cup. You know, they're a little bit more of, like, a floral shirt or, like, a little van, a little cuff on your jean. They're not totally 
you know, I feel like, attacked right now. <laughs> they're, they're not totally somebody that you couldn't bring home, but it doesn't mean that they don't sometimes like let this facade slip and say some dumb shit because they're ultimately like only it seems about maybe 70% of their towards being the kind of like tasteful woke people that we expect our pop stars to be. And in reality, they're just like some kids a couple years out of college who kind of like happened into fame and are not fully media trained and say stupid shit like, even before success, pussy was number one, <laughs> which is a quote from Alex Paul to the Billboard interviewer, or nice. leaving their the uh, number 17.34 up on their website, which was the combined inch their combined penis size in inches. <laughs> and that was something they had had on their website and didn't take down because they didn't fully get the rebrand right. And I think that they speak to how, like, the former kind of, like, pure party Ashton Kutcher, Borgor, <laughs> bro mentality has evolved into this, like, a little bit more of, like, a day trading tech Silicon Valley. Mm. Like they're, they're definitely trying a little bit harder to, like, have it be something that you can present to the press. There's this whole, like, Silicon Valley kind of surface-level crispness to it. Or, like, a surface-level alignment with this new, like, conscious consumerism. Totally. It was more Coachella than Camp Bisco. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. It's interesting. I found a lot of what they've said and the reaction to it very interesting and very of our time. I almost find it maybe refreshing the things they say. Let me explain myself. Uh, <laughs> Please do, Larry. Well, I, you know, I, I think people forget there are bigger, bigger baddies than the chain smokers. I think like they're good villains, as I said in my piece today. But there's bigger villains in the world, obviously, than the chain smokers. And I think people who kind of ooze toxic misogyny a little more than the chain smokers, a lot more, honestly. But this kind of low grade chauvinism that they just like radiate it's not exclusive to them and it's not in the music industry or any corner of the entertainment industry you know for every very high profile horrible example of misogyny or sexual violence that you see expressed towards women in the entertainment industry there's plenty of stuff going on that's not as big or well-known, but it's systemic. And I think the attitudes that they express are systemic in a way. And, you know, it was funny when the Billboard piece came out, I saw a few people online saying things like, you know, why do we have to listen to these guys talk? Like, why are we giving these guys coverage instead of other people? And I find that attitude always really limiting because I, I think if we didn't give the chain smokers coverage if people didn't talk to the chain smokers about their ideologies and kind of allow them to trip over themselves a little bit number one we wouldn't be in this room having this conversation to begin with and number two like we wouldn't know that they're jerks like isn't it better to know when people are right bad? because it doesn't come across in, in the music in the same no. way not not in this obvious way i agree with that from a journalistic standpoint but the scary thing is if you use obviously you know the elephant in the room trump as an example it's like the person with the flashiest most misogynistic views or whatever gets the most attention and thereby becomes the most powerful and 
there is this way in which a natural byproduct of giving the chain smokers this coverage is that they're going to get more attention because they're shitty, and then they're still going to become the most famous electronic act in the world. I don't know if I agree with that. I feel like just feel like they would have gotten attention no matter what. I mean, I, I think we have to look at the fact that the chain smokers got their hit song closer without an ounce of press attention. I mean, yeah. they just, they're just like that, operating yeah, in a totally different Yeah, that profile was after universe. they went number one. They, they don't need this. I mean, we, we can say whatever we want about them. It's yeah. just totally, totally perpendicular to where their fan base is. I definitely, I try not to draw allusions to Trump because it is like, you know, to the Matrix, it's, you see, you can see everything in it. You can see him in everything lately and in general, but... I honestly think that uh, the same way that Trump didn't win because he was a misogynist, he won despite of it. People like the Chainsmokers' music regardless of whether or not like what they say. And if anything, it's, I think, a pretty good reminder of like the bubbles that we live in online. Uh, you know, the Chainsmokers are like, you know, some some random kid who doesn't read the internet doesn't spend time reading music profiles which again like i have to stress i know i'm always saying this but like a good number of like normal people don't he's just gonna buy the music and if somebody tells him like these guys are like sexist pieces of shit he's gonna be like oh that sucks that song bangs though i think especially in the case of the chain smokers they're like who these people are, what they say in interviews is so totally separate from the environment in which their music is being consumed and the attitudes that people have towards it. I mean, this stuff is like coming up in like a Spotify recommended playlist. It's coming on the radio. It's coming out of the supermarket. Like this is, this has nothing to do, like it, it has so little to do with who they are. And it's when those, that, when, when that sentiment actually makes its way into their music, like on that, that line you quoted, well, like, yeah, that's something that should be called out. But at the, ultimately, the rest of it, I just feel like who they are as people is so little to do with the actual way that their music is being consumed. And like all these conversations around if they're good or bad guys just like doesn't matter to the people that are listening to it, which is why I'm a lot more fascinated, like less in what they say in interviews and more just in like what kind of itch their music is scratching for people. And I don't know. I mean, it just seems like it has like so little to do with them as people and almost everything to do with this just like faceless idea of nostalgia that they're peddling. But there's still a difference between the chain smokers and all of the many groups that you discussed last week, Ezra, who we talked about how they are anonymous, and yet these people actually are not anonymous at all. I bet that they're more anonymous than you'd think. I, I bet if you talk to your average Chainsmokers fan, do you think that they know how many people are in the band, what their names are, what they look like? I mean, I do this for a living, and I didn't know the one who isn't the pretty guy. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know his name until literally I looked it up on Wikipedia two days ago. Yeah, I mean, does Alex Paul get recognized on the street? Maybe. That's a, that's a strong maybe. And I, I think like for, as, as much as they've tried to, like, turn the Chainsmokers into some kind of like personality thing through giving them videos. I just don't think it's really worked, honestly. I don't think that it has made that There is a sense back. that they want to be this sort of thing. They want to be a super superstars in the way that you're describing. They want to be like the impresarios yeah. at the top of the pop world that, that people look to for how to do this thing. But I just don't think that they've been able to make that happen despite the fact that they've been able to make the music work. How do we determine that? Because they've been on the cover of Billboard. I mean, these are like industry distinctions, but we don't really know what the young people would say to these questions. I mean, the VMA's performance was pretty roundly disliked because it was bad and he sounded bad. Drew Taggart clearly does not know how to project live and no one's asking him to. I think 
I don't feel bad for him because I never feel bad for anybody who has more money than me as a rule. But <laughs> uh, I do think that there was this kind of like, oh, boy, like this guy didn't sign up for this at all, you know, and he got shown up by Halsey pretty bad in that performance. And then, you know, SNL this weekend, uh, I was watching the performances and it was kind of funny to see like just his body movement. I don't claim to be an expert body language performance wise, but you could kind of tell that he just wasn't really feeling comfortable. Right. Up Wait, there. right. When he starts a song sitting, sitting on a stool, does he know when to get off the stool? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you can tell he's thinking like, okay, like now I put my left foot forward and I put it back. Like it's kind of awkward. I mean, these guys' body language is like ripped straight from a non-player character from a mid-2000s Grand Theft Auto. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty accurate. But to your original question, Emily, of like how we know, I, I, I'm i definitely speculating. They could be way more popular among teens as figures than I think, but like I don't see Chainsmokers GIF sets popping up on Tumblr or something like that in the same way that I do for like other big pop figures. One thing I'm very curious about is I am going to go to their show at Forest Hills this summer, both to see what they're like in like a big show setting rather than just the TV show setting and to see like who is an actual like person that pays money to go to a chain smoker show. Aside from me, I'm very excited also for just for the musical performance, but this issue of whether or not they are really crossing over as pop stars brings me to Larry's review of the album, which went up today on Noisy, where he draws a distinction between them as EDM producers and them as pop stars. And he says that they are going more in the direction of simple pop music than trying to be the producer. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's a lot, if you look at the last 30 years of pop music, there are a lot of acts similar to the Chainsmokers who have been popular for a period of time and who... You cannot remember who they are. I I drew the parallel to what took place with rock music in the 90s. After the so-called grunge explosion of the early 90s, you know, the rest of the decade was littered with these increasingly faceless, you know, very, like, samey-sounding rock bands who had just kind of taken taken this kind of angsty formula and whittled it down into something you know, very, like, featureless. And, and immensely and, popular. Yeah, and immensely popular. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, like, if you think that those bands aren't still popular either, I invite you to take a look at Three Doors Down sales numbers because they still they still sell records. And, you know, despite the fact that we don't hear about them anymore, but I feel like the Chainsmokers are kind of like the modern equivalent of that. And the music sounds to me like, you know, I'll throw out a few names here, like The Fray, Howie Day, like inoffensive, light FM, very tepid music. But, you know, Here, with this like for you, a member of Group Love has a writing credit on this album. That makes sense to me. And for that comparison, what you have in the 90s where you, you had an authentic, genuinely thrilling pose, uh, the Nirvana compared to like the faceless vertical horizon kind of band you're talking about. But with the Chainsmokers, like the bands that you're referencing as like coming before them, I mean, th- this isn't like some cool, authentic pose that's being watered down. I mean, this is the fray. This is, yeah, that's true. This is like just them updating something that's been as old as time, which is kind of like a wimpy, male, vocal-driven pop band and just updating it to fit the needs of the modern consumer. I mentioned this in my review, too, but the kind of the, the stuff that I see them drawing from in terms of whittling it down is like M83, James Blake. I think James Blake is kind of the elephant in the room, so to speak, of like who the Chainsmokers 
direct lineage is you could not have the chain smokers without James sure. like he's the one who introduced the idea of this spacey minimalistic sound in pop music to a lot of different producers and I think the chain smokers really figured out how to use it better than probably anyone else and I don't know if anybody I mean I'm sure everybody at this table remembers because we get these press releases for a living but there was maybe a, an 18 month period after the first James Blake record came out where the music industry, both major labels and indie labels, were just flooding with product that sounded like James Blake. Like still are. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's still a thing. It's Regardless of where his music's gone now, history is going to look back at him being one of the architects of 2010's pop, without a doubt. And Chainsmokers is kind of like... It's kind of funny. It's it's a, it's a nice evil twist to the story that there's been seven years of people trying to figure out how to make it big with this sound that this guy already perfected, and here come these two dickheads who just kind of did it on a whim. I'd be I'd be furious if I was a musician, but I'm not, so I'm just kind of amused. I think for me, the artist that I am most interested in their parallels with the Chainsmokers is Lana Del Rey. Not that they sound in any way similar per se, but more because they're both like as I was saying before, trading in this like meta pose of performing nostalgia for an audience. I mean, they both directly comment on it. Like Lana's latest song, Love, is all about like the confusion of growing up nowadays with all these conflicting signals from the past and the present. And that's something that the Chainsmokers themselves are also trading in. And I, I just think it's fascinating that there's such a big audience among kids for artists who don't actually have anything to do with the past or aren't doing like an M83 faithful representation of it, but are more just like selling this notion of like the past as a great place and that's all you need to know about it. And that alone is able to move numbers, which is to me indicates that we're living in this crazy, timeless, disconnected, confusing era where you're willing to spend money to watch somebody perform nostalgia. It, 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 it seems like the more that we give over our memories and our music tastes, et cetera, to like these social media networks and these streaming networks, it, it seems like there's more like the past is something that we want to hang on to but have an increasingly vague idea about. And I think these two artists are both capitalizing on that in a fascinating way. Emily, you like Lana Del Rey, right? Uh-huh. I know you're. I know you're a fan. How does that make you feel when you hear Lana Del Rey invoked in the same sentence as the Chainsmokers? I just, I really like Lana's music a lot more than I like the Chainsmokers' music. So. I'll say. I mean, she's, she's a much, much better musician and singer. Et and I think that the one thing I'll say is that Lana grabs onto the specificity of different cultural moments, points in history, um, and different specific genres in a way that is evocative and powerful Mm. to me. Whereas with the chain smokers, I feel like you're referring to this like one step removed nostalgia where it's like nostalgia for that kind of nostalgia or something. Totally. And the music itself is generically combining all of these elements that you lose that. Mm -hmm. Where with Lana, it's like the vividness of a ride uh, across the country on a motorcycle and you really feel this like specific American 20th century heritage in it and I yeah. don't feel that in the same way with the chain smoke because it feels more like I'm nostalgic for the photos on my Instagram two years ago <laughs> where it's still the same like cultural period there's also the question of like how self-aware the chain smokers are too because Lana's nostalgia is very 
self-referential in its like conscious invocation of older sounds at specific yeah. moments. But the Chainsmokers, like when they're talking about nostalgia or just in general, it doesn't seem like considered in the same way. They're not making a statement by invoking nostalgia. They're just invoking nostalgia, which is cool. Yeah. Like it, it hits me in my heart. But it does. But it. There's a thing in uh, there's a thing on the album. There's like a skit where it's like somebody talking about being your own like or something on your own post. Like, oh, yeah. And it's very, it's very <laughs> silly. too much. It's very silly, and it's like, it reminded me of, and I'm sure this was the intent, because I, I think these guys are keyed into what's going on. Uh, it reminded me of on Frank Ocean's Blonde Facebook story where Sebastian, the French producer, tells a story about how he lost this girlfriend, allegedly, because she... He didn't want to add her on Facebook. And I think the big difference there when we're talking about self-awareness is that, you know, I heard that I heard Facebook story as a track on that album. And I viewed it as that was kind of Frank Ocean presenting that tale as something to be placed without. He wasn't like Frank Ocean doesn't really do judgment he just kind of puts it out there and it's for you to interpret. So it's like, you know, you can listen to that. Like I know people in this building who heard that song was like, I, I feel for that guy uh, <laughs> who's telling that story. And I heard that story. I was like, oh, this guy sounds like an asshole, you know? But, like, that's okay. Like, it's like it's being presented as, like, you have these two different things. I think when the chain smokers do that, they're kind of like, yeah, like, you really should be your own, like... And, like, that's the difference to me. Like, I don't... Like, I feel like they don't have that self-awareness. I think they are just as doofy as they appear to be. Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, I just think that it's fascinating to see that, like, the fundamentals, like, the fundamental elements that the big pop stars are working with is just, like, the fact that their audience of young teenagers largely feels disconnected from the past. I think that that just, like, indicates this kind of huge anxiety that they and us are all feeling because, A, people are buying it and B, other people are so bothered by it. I think it, it just strikes some kind of weird chord. And whether that's good or bad, I mean, who can say? But I think it shows like that we're entering like a kind of new phase where like nostalgia stops being specific towards actual remembered eras and starts being specific towards just the process of f- wanting to feel nostalgic. Emily, how did the Chainsmokers make you feel about the future of electronic music? I don't know. I don't even know if I put them in the same camp as like other music that we cover on Thump or something. Yeah, that's fair. They're sort of like a like a funnel that catches all the music that we cover on mm, Thump. Totally. I mean, yeah, generally speaking, I, I feel a bit like oppressed by them and the idea of them as we've been discussing them because it's just like this idea that even though a lot of the things that they represent are sort of fucked up and regressive, mm-hmm. they are still going to win because they have conquered the market, and the market is what determines what everybody listens to. And it's just like, there's no way out. <laughs> On the other hand, it's really good that there are 52 weeks in a year, because in a week, <laughs> we're probably not going to be talking about the chain smoke. That's true. Anymore. And then in 18 months, they're probably going to be making a little peep-style emo rap. <laughs> Yeah, we've got a Kendrick Lamar album next week. We've, we're probably probably not even going to see Chainsmokers number one for two weeks in a row. We'll be moving on real quick. <laughs> Memories do not open. Classic or trash? Classic. 
Oh man, I can't. I can't touch this one. <laughs> Why does it have to be a binary? <laughs> what, can it? Can there be like a gray area between them? I, yeah. I guess if you want, it's less fun that way, though. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I, I my instinct is to say classic because I think it's something that is going to be indicative of an era. But I'm also like, I'm really curious as to how what the actual staying power is going to be. Classic as a like a text for reading our time. <laughs> yeah, Trash exactly. Trash is an album. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really like the album, but I can also see myself forgetting that it exists. Yeah, word. You've been listening to The Thump Podcast, a production of Vice Media and Thump. I want to shout out Tim Barnes, who engineers and edits The Thump Podcast. You can find him on Twitter at TimBarnes451. If you'd like to read some of the stories we've been talking about, please log on to our website, thump.vice.com. You can also follow us on social media over at twitter.com slash thumpthump or facebook.com slash thumpthump. If you notice that we have new music today, and actually since our last podcast, it's true, we commissioned a score from one of my favorite synthesists, Lorna Dune, aka Lorna Creer, who is from Portland via New York. Guys, uh, how should people follow you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at OutaSightOuta. I'm on Twitter at Ezra underscore Mark. And my Twitter handle is L-F-I-T-Z-M-A-U-R-I-C-E. And I'm on Twitter at AdHocEmily. If you like what you've heard, please rate and subscribe on iTunes. Ratings help, but word of mouth is the only way that we get this out there. Have a good one. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.